is insubordinate, stubborn, unpredictable. You need the god of mischief. Welcome to Still Watching Loki, Episode 5. I'm Fanny Ferris, Senior Writer Joanna Robinson, and I'm here all by my lonesome at the beginning of the episode to talk to you about how this week's episode of the podcast is going to be a little different. First of all, our pal, uh, Richard Lawson, who usually co-hosts this podcast with me, uh, has been pruned from the timeline for the rest of the season. Uh, he is off at the Cannes Film Festival in France, so unfortunately we lost our beloved Richard. We will miss him dearly. Um, but we've got a couple uh, guest hosts this week, and as well as Anthony Bresdikin, who will be here at the end of the show to uh, to answer some of your questions. I think we're going to just do mostly like a mailbag segment at the end of the show. So here's how it's going to work this week. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, Still Watching is a show where we watch a show obsessively, break it down week by week. This week we will be talking about Loki Episode 5 titled Journey into Mystery, and it was written by Tom Kaufman, uh, another Rick and Morty alum, and directed by Kate Heron. Um, here are how the segments are going to go. The first section is going to be um, my pal, Mark Bernardin, who is a fantastic podcaster, TV writer, comics writer, you know, just nerd about town, great, great smart guy here to talk to me about uh, Loki as a TV show with a little bit of comic book element to it as well. Then in the middle segment of the show, we've got Daniel Kibblesmith, um, who is a fantastic, also a TV writer, also a comic writer. Um, and he wrote a great run of the Loki comic uh, in 2019 that I really liked. So I, I wanted to get his perspective as someone who's written the Loki character and written him really well um, to answer the question of, you know, what what makes a Loki a Loki? Um, and then rounding out the show, of course, as I said, Anthony Bresnikin will be here. We'll be answering a lot of your questions that you sent into um, still watching pod at gmail.com. So that's the show today. I think it's gonna be really fun. So let's, uh, let's start off with, uh, the great Mark Bernardin, TV writer guy, occasional comic book writer guy. Let's hear from Mark. Hello, Mark. How are you today? I am so good, Joanna. It's <laughs> lovely, lovely to be here in wherever here is. The void, The perhaps, void, mayhaps, yes. <laughs> uh, we, we got you uh, for a morning call on a, on a bright and early on a Wednesday morning uh, to talk about Loki, um, episode five, Journey into Mystery. I yes. am so happy to have you here for because you have multiple expertise intersecting <laughs> on something like this. Um, but I want to tap your brain first as, as someone who has worked in television for a little while now. Um, I just want to ask you sort of overall how you feel Loki is working as television. Um, it's, it's always hard to quantify that given that, you know, Marvel, Marvel has, uh, it's a different game that they play compared to other TV, which is they know we're going to watch. Unlike almost every other TV show on the planet, you know, if you're launching a first season, you're just 
praying people show up. He's like, please, fingers crossed. I know we're doing this show about this thing and we think you'll like it. Um, they're spending all the money in marketing, but we don't know if it's going to bring the eyeballs. Yeah. Marvel has this, like, they're at the top of a mountain where they can look down and just say, we know they're going to watch this. Now, how do we make the experience what we'd like it to be? And how do we, you know, try and figure out ways to please an audience who we know we're going to come to taste the cake? Um, and is it a is it incumbent upon us to make this cake interesting or can it just be cake? Um, and I think that, that, you know, they, they have succeeded on various degrees in that, in various Marvel shows. Um, you know, to the point where I just keep wondering, like this isn't playing by the rules of TV that I know it, because if this was the first episode of any other TV show, I would not watch the second episode of this show. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not giving me anything to, to hook into. Um, aside from here are shiny movie stars doing shiny movie star things right. on my small screen. Right. Um, you know, I think, I think Loki started off a little bit better than some of the other shows have because the, the conceit of the TVA is interesting and the production design is so smart and, you know, Tom Hiddleston doing Hiddles things and Owen Wilson doing Wilson things. Um, you know, is, is sort of enough to to sort of like hand wave any kind of plot. I'm not going to say laziness. I'm going to say sluggishness mm-hmm. in that it, it just it doesn't quite engage with what do these characters want? What is their quest? What are the stakes? You know, like all of those questions that you have to answer if you're just creating a new show out of thin air, which is what's what's driving Michael Knight every week? Well, he's a lone crusader out for truth and justice on the high roads of whatever. And he's got a talking car. Like you understand it in the opening title, right. what the show's about. Sure. Whereas, you know, Loki has taken about five episodes for me to really key into like, okay, what's this enterprise? You know, Oh, I get it. Loki's are Loki's and they've never been, you know, they've always been solitary. They've always been, you know, gods of I mean less mischief because mischief sounds like it could be fun and these guys never seem like they're having fun um but like they're, they're they're solitary creatures and this is the loki meeting another loki for the first time who decide they want to be friends or more than friends and is that creepy because like <laughs> they're the same thing uh-huh. but a little different uh-huh. and is it incest is it masturbation i don't understand but okay it seems sweet are we friends? Great. You know, and so by the time you get to, to episode to journey into mystery, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like it's engaging with what it's kind of supposed to be um, or was maybe always about, but just never brought to the surface, which was, can a Loki find a partner? And can a Loki change? Um, and can a Loki change? It spots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. The, the word you use is, is sluggish. Uh, is something that I, you know, that was tossed around with some of my other uh, TV critic friends when we got the screeners, where I was like, I like this. But I, I see what you mean in terms of Marvel has the luxury of a really slow burn if they want to, because they know they're not going to lose people the same way another show might fear that they would lose people, right? Because... Yeah, like Marvel at this point is the prettiest person in high school, <laughs> you know? And it's like, do I have to work that hard to do stuff? <laughs> and like this, the sad nerd who's just trying his best in the corner to like 
build a community and find some friends but like well no dude you're on the football team and you're also a you know a road scholar and you're like you're will smith and everybody else is carlton and it's like and everyone else is, is, is the dancing sweatily for your attention <laughs> dancing sweatily for your attention and prat falling and hoping that you'll really really like him yeah well meanwhile you're just sitting there in the corner kind of dancing like a fool but you're beautiful and funny and handsome and everybody knows it Uh amazing um (laughs) this is an episode i don't always love when the sky is raining easter eggs it can feel (laughs) so unorganic but the this episode the premise is very friendly to that so i wasn't mad about it at all um i don't know if you were but uh i was wondering if there were any particular easter eggs that you enjoyed especially in this episode well i'll tell you there's one that i that i totally didn't spot i i noticed that there was a helicopter grounded that had a big thanos mm-hmm. on the side of its fuselage mm-hmm. which I was like, that's weird, but okay. And it wasn't until, you know, I sort of poked around the internet. I was like, I don't know. There was absolutely a, a you know, issue of, I want to say it's like Spider-Man or something, where Thanos is flying a helicopter that has Thanos on the side of it. Amazing. Yeah, there were a bunch I- of villain uh, vehicles in this episode, but the Thanos copter <laughs> has to be my favorite for sure. The Thanos copter is fantastic. You know, and like the, the sort of the downed helicarrier kind of in the corner there. It's like, oh, that was always a bad idea. Helicarriers. <laughs> they really were. They really were. <laughs> yeah. They so never stay up. The end of the world. <laughs> nope. Never stay up, always come uh, down. Um, I'm a big fan personally <laughs> of uh, Frog Thor. Um, because, oh, Frog Thor. you know, I, th- this, uh, you know, for, for folks who don't know, Frog Thor is definitely something that exists in the comics. <laughs> um, you can call him Throg if you want. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's just like a quick shot of him in a little jar as the, as the camera pans down through soil. Uh, there's also a bunch of cafeteria trays in that shot. And I don't know if like people at TVA just like, um, prune their cafeteria trays because they don't want to wash them like i don't know what they're doing there but yeah, that's how you bust a table yeah in TVA. you just fling it into the void just prune it it's fine um <laughs> the only other thing that i have like major questions about i mean there's such a bunch of things and folks can can look up all the easter eggs that they want to but um there's a a yellow jacket helmet this like this large version of the the helmet that I suppose Corey Stahl wore in Ant-Man and that, Ooh. that the only reason that is super interesting to me is because um, there's a theory going around that all of the TVA stuff is taking place in the quantum realm because it's a place out of time. And so um, I don't know if that's some, an indication of something to come, but I do know that Corey Stahl in some shape uh, will be back for Ant-Man three. So I don't know if they're, dropping a little well, it, creep. I mean it does sort of make sense given that you know Eliath was a bad guy who like took over Kang's like city planet thing at some point and we know that Kang is going to be in Quantumania right. and so the the like the Ant-Man through line oddly enough seems to be kind of clear which is, you know, we're we're beginning that story with Kang, Quantum Realm, Ant Man, Yellow Jacket. Like, okay, sure, sure, that could work. 
We're going to talk a little bit more about Eliath and King. For those who are unfamiliar and confused, we will talk a little bit more about that uh, in a second. But my last, my last Easter egg question for you is, do you have, did you, was there anything not comic book, but like TV or film or otherwise that you saw in the episode that you're like, oh, huh, they're doing that. Um, you know, I think that, that uh, one of the things that kind of, bothered me a little bit about episode four mm-hmm. um which you know felt like it was like the defiant ones meets midnight run on a planet that's about to explode um was the 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 way it would just kind of like sit down and have sylvie and loki just like have a conversation in what felt like should be panic mm-hmm. and like urgency and you know, oh my God, this planet's about to explode. It's like, that's cool. We're just going to have this little walk and talk for like five minutes where we explain our feelings and aren't running all the time. Um, but I think that that this episode, when you get Sylvie and Loki kind of sitting down having a conversation, um, because the conversation is now Loki kind of broaching his own self-awareness that he's changed and that this is finally, ultimately what he wants which is to not be alone and to not betray everybody and to find somebody he loves and who loves him back and then hold to that. Like, you know, it felt earned in a way that the conversations in the last episode didn't, you know, like if you're going to stop everything for this, then it should be the biggest conversation in the world. And it kind of was. Yeah. And so like, I, I appreciated that, you know, from a, from a purely like structural point of view of like, Oh Yes. Now's where we just kind of pause for a minute and then let these two characters, you know, profess their love for each other in the weirdest way possible. <laughs> I mean, it, it felt very um, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, one of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones, like the the night before the battle episode moment, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're going to war. Let's stop and, and really reckon with what that means for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, like, we're going to cauterize all of these emotional threads so that we can launch into the giant plot thread, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which definitely has its place. And it's definitely a TV slash storytelling slash adventure trope of, you know, the X-Men would do it all the time, where it's like, hey, we're about to do this giant thing going up against a Hellfire Club. But before we do that, we're going to play some softball, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to we're going to, like, lean into the soap opera of it all before yeah. everything you know, goes to hell. All right, let me. I've, this wasn't the order I was going to do things, but since but since you are so perturbed yet intrigued by Loki Prime and <laughs> Sylvie, let's go there first. Um, what are the what's the over under odds uh, that they kiss before the series is over, Mark? I mean, I I feel like if they do, it's the end of all reality. Right. Right. Like right. maybe there's some like Loki's can't kiss. That's weird. <laughs> or all of us on this you know, doom scroll planet have just been gay the whole time. And so we've just been looking it up. And so maybe the, the, the kiss is not a big deal on a sort of trans dimensional apocalypse scale, but I, I kind of don't want them to, you know, like I don't, I don't want this to be romance because it doesn't feel like it needs to be like, I think it, you just want it to be, you just want it to be, they found somebody and that yeah. doesn't need to be, you know, smoochy smoochy time as much as we can hold hands and that's cool because now we're family hashtag family uh thank you for that um vin diesel representation (laughs) um no (laughs) i um i think that i think you definitely have that with like mobius and loki right like that that's that's the family love story 
without the smooching. And maybe we won't get any smooching with Loki, Prime, and Sylvie. But um, the thing that I wonder is it feels like they're kind of building towards that where Mobius says, I think, in episode four, you know, whatever it was you guys did, which was just touch forearms, was like so (laughs) explosive. (laughs) It was just off the chart sort of thing. So like if if you guys... It feels like if you guys really get together, you could bring the whole thing down, like a kiss, <laughs> a kiss to end the world sort of thing, and uh, which I think is kind of time cop rules a little bit. But um, <laughs> but it also goes back to what Loki says in episode three when he talks about um, love being a dagger, right? Like <clears throat> love is a dagger. Like is there love? I mean, this is going to sound so corny, and please don't retch on on Mike, but like. Love is the ultimate <laughs> weapon in this story? Question mark. Like I don't know. I've I've thoughts about that. So. Um, I mean, I would I would honestly love it if the only Loki to change was Loki Prime, and that Sylvie Loki um, is still playing a Loki game. You know, she is still using Loki Prime to her own ends, which is I want to take down the TVA, and I want you know I want to see who's you know the the man behind the mask. And if I have to stab a dude in the chest with love slash smooching, and I will. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, there's this question hanging over presumably the finale, which is, can our Loki, can Loki Prime change? You know, she's like, you're not going to betray me, are you? And I'm like, I'm not worried for a second that our Loki <laughs> is going to betray her. But to your point, there's still a possibility that she might betray him. It could happen. Yes. Yeah. Totes. Yeah. yeah. Um, this brings me to one of my favorite questions to ask people. <laughs> Mark, yes. Mark, what makes a Loki a Loki in your point of, in your point of view? Um it seems ironically that what makes Loki a Loki is an inability to look down the road at all. Despite the fact that Loki's always talk about like their grand plans and and, and devious machinations. They never look round the corner to see what's going to happen on the other side of it. You know, like for all of our experience with Loki Prime, he just does dumb stuff to do dumb stuff. Or he wants a thing to want a thing without ever really reckoning with what it means to have a thing. You know, like I'm going to betray my brother again and again and again. And what does it mean? And what is it? You know, what what am I getting on the other side of this? You know, and so for Loki Prime to begin to understand that uh, ironically through interactions with the TVA that, you know, he could peer a little bit into the future, even if he just gamed it out half a beat and realized that so many of the things that he does are futile and self-destructive. Um, then he could, he could actually do something with his life. Yeah. You know, he could actually be something and you know, the, the, the God of mischief doesn't necessarily need to always be that, you know, you could be the, just because, like, if Thor is not the god of hammers, then then Loki can be the god of other things as well. <laughs> I love this. Um, I, I want to move over to Richard E. Grant's um, character. <laughs> Classic Loki, if we want to call him that. Whatever. Classic Loki. <laughs> Classic. Um, his, his little mini arc in this episode, he says at one point, you know, um, we're always broken. We can't change. Like, we'll never change. That's just who we are. This is the the you know, the hand that fate has dealt us, et cetera. And then we have Mobius at one point saying to him, it's never too late to change. 
And then he has this rallying thing at the end where instead of running away from the fight, he faces the fight. He stands with the other Luke. So, uh, you know, I I like what you were saying earlier about this idea of the story we're watching is this idea of Loki's in isolation and not needing to stay that way. And maybe it was in the TVA's interest to keep these Lokis isolated. Because what Richie Grant's character says is that he didn't get pruned when he avoided Thanos's you know, strangulation grip. He didn't, he went off by himself for a long time and he only got pruned when he tried to come back and reunite with Thor. And so it's this like idea of like, it's not, that wasn't, avoiding death wasn't the issue. It was like connection that was the issue. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's, it's also crazy weird that they've only been pruning Lokis. There's nobody else on this planet but Lokis. You know, there's not a whole, like, unless we haven't seen the continent of, you know, Thors and, like, Phil's from accounting and, you know, Spider-Man and whatever. Like, it's just Lokis. And so what is it about Lokis that if they could work together, if they could, you know, bond and and supersede their programming and become more than they are, what is the TVA so afraid of? And why have they hidden so many of them here? You know? Um, and I also think that, that to your earlier question, what makes a Loki a Loki, I think there's a whole lot of theatricality and flair to being a Loki. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, you know, I'm, I'm the diva ballerina and, you know, to the point where like every time Loki prime, like gets up, there's the hair toss, like no matter what he's doing, there's this like very theatrical, like, uh-huh. look at my hair. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the ending of Loki of classic Loki story also feeds into the theatricality of it. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I was a hero right now? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if I went out like this, as opposed to, you know, living in a bowling alley with an alligator and, you know, <laughs> a child. <laughs> right. Like, this is the ending fit for a Loki, and so I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I think there's there's a little bit of the, the you know, trying to forge a connection, trying to, to understand that these two people have what I never can. And so if I can help them push that along a little bit, I will. And also, this is the greatest swan song in the history of swan songs. <laughs> so let me, let me stand here with my baggy boxers and just raise Asgard from the ashes one last time. It was amazing. It was great. <laughs> there's also uh, that that was an amazing dramatic flourish, but also there's this moment earlier when Loki Prime proposes something and all the Lokis laugh at him, and Richard E. Grant does so by throwing his cape in the air and just like <laughs> kicking his legs up. And you're just like, he's like, oh, I'm so glad I have a cape, essentially. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like, it's, it's fantastic. Um, he's like a can can dancer, just like, <laughs> wow. Yes, exactly. Uh, to your point about like, why are there only Lokis here? Um, I, I mean, we do see that ship drop, and presumably that ship wasn't manned entirely by Lokis. And, but but it wouldn't gets, that be awesome? <laughs> but it gets swallowed right away, and so I think I think the idea is there are only Lokis here because only Lokis can survive mm. this place. That's something that one of them says. Like we're survivors, we survive. Yes, that's, um, a, that's a better reading than mine was. Well, no, no, but I mean, I think it is a good question. Why are there only Lokis there? And it brings me to my favorite theory that I don't know if I've bothered you with yet, but here it is. <laughs> I have thought, and then stopped thinking but now i'm back to thinking that maybe mobius is a stealth loki what do you think of that sort of thematically um i think it's interesting and i think it's totally valid 
I have in my head a different stealth Loki. Um, but, uh, but, but, or, or maybe they could both be stealth Lokis, but I think I, in my gut of guts, I'm thinking that Ravona, uh, Renslayer is a Loki. Oh, I love it. I love it. What, what, like, when did you start thinking that? And, and what do you feel like supports that in your, in your heart? I started thinking it this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking it when, you know, when she starts talking to Miss Minutes and like when she's playing the game with Sylvie, when she's interviewing Hunter B13 or 15 or whatever that digit is, uh-huh. I know it's a teen, um, you know, and, and her sort of manic desire to also get to the bottom of who's at the TVA, mm-hmm. you know, or to stop other people from doing so. Because she, like the Loki and Thor Ragnarok, has taken over the TVA and has erected a sort of puppet um, authority so she can just have it as she wants it. She can, she can run rampant throughout time and space and there's nobody to stop her. Um, she's found the domain for which she's going to rule, which also feels like the thing that Loki's also want, right. which is where's my kingdom, right. you know, where's my throne. And Ravona Renslayer has a throne and she has a kingdom and she has everybody at her beck and call doing things that apparently only she knows about and knows the secrets of. I, 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 here's why I really like that theory. I think you and I are circling sort of the same drain, which is that it is only going to be satisfying in the show. If the reveal of who's behind everything is someone we already know that is, yeah. you know, like we'll talk about sort of who comic book fans are convinced is, is behind everything. But like in terms of television, like, you know, compelling interesting television it is most interesting if a loki another loki is behind everything or at the very least a character we've already met in mobius or ravona is behind everything right like yeah like you can't the murderer cannot be a brand new person at the end of the episode you have to have met him in the second act right that's i mean that's what i think and so um a a million comic fans would disagree with us right now but i i genuinely think it has to be something that we've seen it has to be something that's thematically tied to the heart of the show, which is sort of what makes a Loki a Loki, can a Loki change his spots, all this sort of <laughs> stuff, you know? And so it makes the most sense for it to be a Loki or for at least a Loki to be involved in some of it. Um, but yeah, who, who do, who, who are you hearing? Um, is it Mephisto? I bet you no, it's No, I promise you it's not Mephisto this time. No, it's, it, let's talk about Kang. Um, Mark, who, who is Kang the Conqueror? Uh, Kang the Conqueror, Kang the Conqueror is a sort of like uh, he's a he's a time lord ultimately, um, who just goes he bounces from timeline to timeline and just conquers things and takes them over because that's that's what a Kang does. <laughs> Kang, <laughs> Kang and a Kang, you know. Kang's gonna Kang. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know we've talked about this a little bit on the show before, mostly sort of in our back half of the show when we get a little nerdier about comic book stuff, but. Kang the Conqueror is a character that we know is coming in the upcoming Ant-Man film, uh, played by Jonathan Majors. Um, a lot of people have wondered if he was going to get introduced here. It feels unlikely to me, based on what we've seen from Timelines and Disney Plus and all that sort of thing. I think we could get a Kang tease, um, but I am sort of firmly on it won't feel interesting for non-comic book nerds 
and with all love to comic nerds for the reveal to be Kang. Because if you're like, dun, 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 it's Kang. Like the casual viewer at home is like, it's who now? You know? Right. Like who is yeah. it? Right. And there's a lot of clues like Elioth, this, you know, definitely a ripoff of the lock of the lost smoke monster, uh, you know, <laughs> guardian that's in this episode. Chronopolis, this like city at the end of time, all this sort of stuff. This is all Kang stuff. Ravana is connected to Kang in the comics. It's all trappings of Kang, which is why comic book folks are convinced it has to be Kang. But I'm just saying for like, in the same reason why it was a bad idea for me to get wound up about be- it being Mephisto and WandaVision, it's a bad idea to get wound up and be- it being Kang, I think, because the Disney Plus is trying to play to all crowds at once, right? What do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, like, Kang is not a satisfying resolution for the viewer. Right. Um, Because we have no emotional attachment whatsoever to a Kang. Um, You know, Kang, like, your villain and your hero need to have some connection to one another that has been put on the stage at some point. Otherwise, it's just, that's a dude. Okay, sure. Could Kang be some like mid credits throw into right. you know Ant Man three? Sure, sure, yeah. But like it, it's it's the you know it's the Avengers thing when like oh, you yeah, know Loki's the bad guy and you know sure there's you know some dude up in the sky but you don't reveal Thanos until the very 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 end because it doesn't matter to the main drama that that was Thanos. You know it's it's a promise of things to come as opposed to an answer to the things you've seen. I completely and, agree. Yeah, you know so to that end it it either has to be. It's somebody we've met before. It's definitely somebody we've met before. Whether it's Ravona, whether it's, you know, Mobius is actually Loki. He's been playing this all from the inside. Whether it's Miss Minutes, who's some kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, techno mage creature who built the three mechanical puppets and who's been running it, you know, as the, the kindly AI the entire time. Sure. We've seen that. We know what that is. We've had your your main characters have had interactions with that. Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard to just sort of pull the, the the mystery box out of thin air and be like, "That's your bad guy." Like, who's that? Exactly. It's just not. It's <laughs> not. It's not emotionally good television. Even if even yeah. if it feels like exciting for comic book fans, and I want comic book fans to get excited and get what they want. But I think what you're saying exactly like a tease, an end of credits, mid credits tease could fulfill that prompt while having the big bad be someone, you know, be Agatha all along. Like that's sort of, that's been (laughs) the vibe of these Disney plus shows. It's Sharon Carter. It's Agatha all along. It's like someone who's been in plain view the whole time. Uh, So yeah, that's, I, I do long though for the, at some point it's the, here was the big bad guy. We know who it is. You know, it's not a surprise. Right. It's, you know, like, oh, it's the power broker. Ooh, it's Agatha. So, no, we set it up. That's the bad guy. We're going to go punch that dude. But that's really hard. <laughs> well, I think also in this era of like, um, you know, and I am as guilty as anyone of this, of, of TV theorizing being a thing that drives audience engagement, you're going to just see uh, mysteries constantly you know because it's like that it's that like westworld sort of thing where like or mr robot or whatever it is like if 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 reddit is buzzing about their theories and everyone everyone can get excited about their theories that's going to get people more excited to watch the show you know i mean i guess but but there's also the the argument that again marvel doesn't need help getting people to watch their shows which should actually liberate them to do things that don't fall into line with all right, I'm launching this new series of this thing. I got to get the buzz. Like, you're Marvel. You have the buzz. 
like make my bad guy the Joker, where <laughs> he's right there. Yeah. He's not hiding. Yeah, he's yeah. not prevaricating. He's not he's not ducking around corners. Like he's just the Joker. Um, Marvel could do that. And I'm I'm hoping that that you know at some point we'll see that because the mystery uh, at some point not to say we're going to get tired of trying to guess who the bad guy is, um, or who the real bad guy is, but like just change the pitch a little bit, give something different to swing at. Uh, yeah, I have I have two thoughts about that. Number one, um, you're totally right about Marvel TV now. I think there was more insecurity uh, when they first launched the Disney Plus shows, like. Are people mm. going to come on along for these rides, especially around WandaVision, which they were worried was like a little too avant-garde, et cetera. Mm. Um, and I think you're right that they can have confidence now that people, oh yeah, people are going to show up. You don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Like you, you got this. So, so in future season, like these are the first three things that they developed all, all in sort of like a lump, but in future uh, iterations that they might be able to do exactly what you're saying. And the other thing as I was thinking about, I was wondering if maybe this was intentionally thematic, this sort of like villain hiding in plain sight thing, because we know that they're going to do a secret invasion TV show coming up, which is all mm-hmm. about, you know, people you've known all along are actually scrolls. <laughs> that's what, see, that's what the secret <laughs> invasion is in the comic book. So maybe it's like a thematic, like sort of like how in whatever phase it was, phase two, whatever, when I was getting their arms chopped off, like this is the theme of, of, <laughs> of Disney plus Marvel TV is the, you know, your friend is actually your enemy. Uh, right. Look out. Your arms off. You're my friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I want to float something else by you. I'm, I'm you know, what seems to go back to your question of like, why are all these Lokis being shoved into the void here? Right. I think while it may not be only Lokis that are being pruned, they seem ex- especially fixated on Lokis being pruned. And I, <clears throat> I think you have to think of it this way in terms of like, what does the TVA accomplish? Whoever's running the TVA, some nefarious figure or whatever, or a Loki. Um, what is their investment in? keeping Lokis isolated or not hero- unheroic or whatever it is they need Lokis to be that they keep snipping off these other versions of them. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, it, I think it, I think it probably, I think it's possible that it's, you know, the gods of mischief are unpredictable and the best way to keep an ordered timeline, you know, on, on, on the March is to remove the variables, the variants that make things unpredictable. Um, you know, everything else is somewhat staid and easy. And like, oh, I know what that guy's going to do. He's got a big chin. He's going to you know, lead with it and he's going to get punched and that's fine. You know, or these, you know, bunch of normies are just going to do what normies do. But Lokis, <laughs> you can, like, there's elements of Lokis that are predictable, which is that they are unpredictably predictable. Mm-hmm. Um but even still, they're just they're they're the fly in the ointment that you can't ever really, you know, control. And so, if there's a way to remove them from the stage, then it might be easier to plot your temporal domination. Mm, I love that. The other thing that I was thinking about in terms of like trying to figure out like a satisfying, uh, emotionally satisfying motivation for all of this um, is I have to go back to the first episode when. Um, when Mobius is showing Loki, like, all, you know, uh, you know, this is your life, Loki, <laughs> footage <laughs> on the wall of the TVA. And he shows um, 
his mom, Frigga's death, Renee Russo, <laughs> the lovely Renee Russo dying. And, uh, and Mobius says something about like, it happens over and over and over again. No matter what, this is the outcome. Frigga dies, basically. And so in my head, I was like, what would a look other than like world domination? Could it could a motivation for a Loki be trying to find a timeline where he's not responsible for his mom's death? You know what I mean? Like that's that's a that's a deep uh wound that that they might want to heal for themselves. Um what do you think? I mean, totally. You know, yeah. it's it it goes back to, you know, some of the reasons why we invested ourselves so much in the MCU, which is things like Cap, he killed my mom. You know, like yeah. the the idea that that at its core so many of these stories and so many of these characters are motivated by very sort of basic, and that's not a pejorative, but mm-hmm. basic human desires and, and wants mm-hmm. and, and feelings of like, kill my mom, dude. Like, of course I'm going to punch him in the face a lot. Like, I understand it. Like, on a, on a purely academic level, I get it, but he killed my mom. Like, I killed my mom. Is there a world in which I don't do that? And I don't want to have been the person who does that. You know, and like when confronted with the totality of his of his, you know, effects, his CV of mischief, like that's the thing that he would like to have not done. Yeah. You know, and so for that to be, you know, I, it it's really, really interesting. Um, I wish that if that was the case, that that had been on the stage a little bit more. Yeah. You know, if if, if we had if we had hit that note, not like a thousand more times, but like two more times than we have. I, uh, it was, some, it was a, it was a sort of idea that I've been holding on to since episode one, but in this episode, <laughs> Loki says, you know, I betrayed my father. I betrayed my brother. I betrayed, you know, Asgard essentially. And I was like, oh, he didn't mention his mom. Then it probably isn't Frigga. Like I, they would have, they would have circled back to Frigga a couple of times, uh, if, <laughs> if they were going to go there. But I, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to find like a reason behind total world domination, which is such a boring motivation for a villain. Uh, as as to what might be going on here, do you know what I mean? I mean, if there's if there's the scene in episode six, you know, which is called you know, mommy, where <laughs> where you finally get you know Loki and Rene Russo is your big surprise drop of like back is Frigga, and then you get that scene, you know, where it's you know warm and maternal and lovely, and she says, "I'm so glad you're home, Loki. You, you, you've got to stop." doing things in the universe and just visit your mother every now and again and just get that purely emotional, you know, Pavlovian, um, just, this is that scene of the thing this boy has wanted ever since he was a boy, um, would be lovely and wonderful, you know? And if, and if Sylvie is there and is the engine for that, you know, is also wonderful. To not be the God of outcasts, to be, you know, the God of, being welcome honed by your mom. Um, yeah. I, it, it's interesting. One of our listeners wrote in and, and you know how um, these Disney plus shows leave the, the credits card blank when an actor isn't in an episode at the end of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two blanks remaining that haven't been used in any of the episodes. And so, Ooh. you know, might it be Renee Russo? Might it be Jonathan Majors? I don't know. Uh, who mm-hmm. else could it be? But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also the world in which you know, I'm pretty sure Hemsworth was shooting Love and Thunder um, mm-hmm. in time to be able to do some small cameo. Um, 
at the very tail end of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, if anyone give us Thor, but um, <laughs> but I but I've sort of enjoyed how mu- how kind of little Thor there has been in the show because Loki is so often defined in contrast to Thor, and so it was interesting to try to define him outside of the context of Thor, define him in the context of other Lokis. You know what I mean? That's been yeah, yeah. I mean, although I do think that that the the best loki scene we've had until this show um started was that bit in ragnarok where you know thor's like i thought the world of you you know i thought we would just we i thought we would just like fight side by side forever you know but you're you and i'm me and thus it ever was and like that moment of i've known who you were you know the entire time and hoped you could be better but you're not and so to find the mirror of that scene which feels like, you know, in Ragnarok is the scene of evolution for Loki, is a scene of realization for Loki. And so if there's some way to to echo that, to harmonize with that, would also be super fun. Yeah, I'm very satisfying. I'm looking for satisfaction. <laughs> I'm looking for emotional resonance and satisfaction, Mark. That's all I'm looking <laughs> Get for. <it> to me. <laughs> oh, is there anything else you want to say about this episode or about Loki in general? Um, I was hoping that one of the Lokis that we would see was just like the definition of mischief, like whoopee cushions on chairs, <laughs> you know, like, like mischief is always portrayed as this nefarious, somewhat yeah. evil thing when referring to Loki's, but where's just the dude who's a prankster? Where's the dude who just fills a paper bag with dog poop and leaves it outside somebody's front door? Like, where's the, where's the toilet papering the trees, Loki, you know, the mild, low grade mischief is kind of what I want. Um, yeah, we got, we get kid Loki, who's obviously a figure from the comics and he's, you know, I guess that was an, op- you know, it could have been kid Loki who was like the most yeah. mischievous thing, but, but, but it's it also was like, he kills Thor. Yeah. And it was like heavy, <laughs> heavy was the head that wears the crown with this was kid, you know, and he had this sort of like a uh, little uh, controller device that was never explained. I don't know. I don't know if there was some kid Loki stuff that was cut or what, but I was just like, what's this device? What does it do? Why are you holding it? I guess it tracks the storm or other things. I don't know. <laughs> um but it's a sonic yeah. screwdriver <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um all right well i think we did it mark where can if folks want more of your very insightful eloquent opinions where where can they find you um they can find me on the interwebs um i'm at mark bernardin m-a-r-c-b-e-r-n-a-r-d-i-n on both twitter and instagram um i do not do the facebooks um because reasons mm-hmm. um and and yeah, and every every week or so, I uh, I hold forth on a podcast with Kevin Smith called Fat Man Beyond, where you will hear my dulcet tones also make very little sense. I uh, know all the sense in the world. <laughs> it's a great show. You're fantastic on it. Um, oh. thank you so much uh, for for the chat, Mark. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always fun. These. All right, we got an extra special treat on the show today. We've got someone that I am a massive fan of. He's a comics writer, TV writer. He writes children's books. He's got an upcoming Marvel comic that he cannot talk about it, so don't ask him. It's Daniel Kibble. Smith, hello. Daniel, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I love oh being God. a special treat. <laughs> a delight. A true joy. Um, I, I have you here, of course, um, not just because I think you are um, brilliant and hilarious, but also because you wrote a great run of the Loki comic in 2019. So I thought it might be fun to get your perspective 
on Loki as a character. Uh, in other words, maybe I'll start easy. Hey, what makes a Loki a Loki in oh, your Lord. view? <laughs> <laughs> right, because there's not like an entire Disney Plus television show devoted to this question <laughs> right now. Right uh, now. What makes a Loki a Loki in my view? That's that's really interesting. I mean, I think that it's it it's a very he uh, he uh, let's go with he for now uh, is a very layered character, and I think at the core is the myth, right? And I think as long as you're serving and honoring that origin, it's kind of everything else is is fair game because what makes Loki so exciting and malleable to me is that the canon that you have to honor is somebody who is capable of anything. So what makes a Loki Loki, what makes this this TV show possible and all of the different permutations in the comics possible, is that you can't really get it wrong as long as you justify why Loki is doing whatever the thing is. And that's usually self-serving overwhelmingly self-serving. <laughs> so I think as, as long as Loki is acting in uh, his own self-interest, it's a plausible Loki story. Because everything else is on the table. He's a shapeshifter. He's virtually immortal. Uh, you know, he kind of lives in outer space uh, sometimes, the way Asgard is, is occasionally reckoned. It's, it's all, it's all on, the, on the table. I think the only thing he can't be is Thor. And why, and why do you say that? Well, because you you need them bouncing off of each other. You need that sort of uh, it's not it's not quite a yin and yang, uh, but it's uh, two people who are foils for each other in a way that has been kind of uh, hammered out. God, there's going to be a lot of accidental puns on this one. <laughs> um, they're, they're foils for each other in a way that's sort uh-huh. of been hammered out over thousands of years of of storytelling. Like, they are conformed to fit each other. So if it's something that Thor would do, it's probably not something that Loki would do, unless the reason he's doing it is in the context of Thor. Like, being heroic because Thor is absent, or being heroic to show up Thor. You know, that that I can see Loki doing. Someone I know who's smarter than me about story was sort of making this point that Loki exists... uh, as defined in reaction to Thor. That's sort of similar to what you just said. And I'm curious um, what you make of, you know, you and I have both at this point seen four episodes of, of the Loki series. We, one more will probably drop before anyone hears you talk about this, but like, um, what do you make of how little Thor there is in the show? Not just like, Chris Hemsworth isn't going to do the Disney Plus show, but just sort of from a storytelling point of view, what is it like to spend this time with Loki not in reaction to Thor? Well, I think it's very necessary if you're going to make a Loki show. Uh, They do a really good job. People always uh, ask me, and I'm not, you know, I'm not involved with the television program. (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm a big fan and I'm excited to talk about it. But people ask me just uh, as somebody who is vocally uh, uh, Loki- Loki-fied uh, and and a big MCU fan is this can this be the first thing that I watch do I have to watch 25 movies or can I just skip to this and I think they do a pretty good job in the first episode of the Loki show showing you everything that you need to know in terms of 
the relationships that informed this version of the character, this 2012, still somewhat villainous, but also, from a story perspective, very much informed by the growth that his other self had for the purposes of the audience. It's I think they do a really good job creating this kind of blended Loki that is all of the MCU stories while still being kind of this other character, which is one of the tools that I think lets them start from a blank slate and, and get away from some of that stuff. He doesn't have all of the growth uh, he has from like a Thor Ragnarok. But uh, to to answer your, your question, which I, I kind of remember what it was... <laughs> Uh, I, I think that, I'm, I'm sorry, could you repeat it? I got yeah, off yeah, on a of total tangent. And of you can, course. you can leave this in if you, you want to, <laughs> uh, show everybody my no. writing process. <laughs> no, just, um, what do you make about how sparingly Thor is mentioned or used? And, and so what is it like to explore Loki outside of that context of Thor? Right, 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 right. I think that it's necessary in order to do a Loki show because there's a bit of a there's a bit of a growing pain whenever you take somebody who's not the expected protagonist and put them in a starring role especially if it's one of the bad guys. And I think the first story with somebody like Harley Quinn is about breaking away from the Joker. And even in something like the Harley Quinn animated show the Joker is still very much present it's Mm -hmm. sort of a story about the the tortured uh gradual severing of this very entrenched bad relationship so i think that it either has to be about them breaking out on their own or it does have to be this kind of clean break and the first episode does a really good job telling you everything you need to know by showing you all of those very diegetic, time-travel-based flashbacks, while also making it clear that, you know, Loki is in this literal bubble, that he's uh, mm-hmm. operating operating in this other, this other, you know, very defined kind of, like, physical space, uh, and that he's he's on his own. He's at the mercy of this larger... Power. So I think they do a really good job using using the story to kind of quarantine him away and force the audience to embrace him as protagonist, force you know the character to step up in a way that he hasn't before. And we're all kind of we're all kind of working together, right? The audience members and the creators are all making a bold declaration that this is the Loki show starring Loki. And they're writing a story that facilitates that, uh, while still giving all the new viewers everything that they need to know about the the Thor relationship that kind of built this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and I'm interested to see if the if the central question of the show is what makes a Loki a Loki, right? Um, then an interesting approach they seem to be taking here is let's refract that Lokiism across multiple characters. And in doing so, you can get to the heart of, you know, we, we met um, the Sylvie character played by Sofia Martino in the in the post credit stinger of episode four. We see a couple other Lokis. Presumably we'll get to know them a bit more. And in doing so, find the common thread. And that's going to be able to help us understand who Loki is. And something I thought that was so interesting that you did in your in the five issue run that you did is that. 
you had a, several instances. I was I just reread it this morning, and you had several instances where you talk about these different iterations: Kid Loki, Lady Loki, King Loki, etc. Um, the great chess sequence that you have um, in in your comic goes into that as well. And I was just wondering, like Loki is inherently a shapeshifter, but but what do you recall about how useful it was for you to think about his varying identities when trying to paint your version of him? I think that's almost a mandate at this point. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be dishonest to the character if you didn't incorporate all of these transformations. Because Loki's doing it in this very like literal day-to-day sense, right? Like, I'm going to turn into a wolf and be part of this weird <laughs> mythological story where I screw with Thor. Right. But uh, he's also being being reinvented uh, all of the time and kind of you know all comic book characters sort of are to some extent all of the the many decade story sequential characters are getting all of these all of these little um transformations and and settlings uh and uh, coming out as as new definitive versions uh, and having these these eras but loki is someone who's literally doing it uh, Loki isn't just doing it for the audience's sake. Loki knows that this is happening because that's kind of the gag. He's a he's in a live story, and he's the only one who has a sense of humor about it. <laughs> so I, I think yeah. that's I think that's just part and parcel with the the character is that he knows that he contains all of these multitudes. And uh, has is is a a a, a fluid uh, person on 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 every level. Um, there's a, a wonderful line from the uh, Journey into Mystery era with uh, Kid Loki, uh, which mm-hmm. is um, I think I think largely uh, the writer Karen Gillan, but I, I think this particular line might be Matt Fraction, where he says, "I remain mysterious even to myself." And that I love. That to me is is Loki. That he has a degree of self awareness that lets him be this kind of game master. But he's also a little bit outside of himself, and he knows that he's impulsive. He doesn't always know what he's going to do. And TV show is also doing a great job of that. The self sabotage aspect of it mm-hmm. is is yeah. so clutch because he's operating on the rules of mythology. So he kind of has to fail because that's the way. His that's the way his universe is wired. It's interesting um, the, that you mentioned that Kid Loki comic because I was thinking about it a lot as I was rereading your run because there are times when Loki has been um, a stone cold villain and there are times when he has tried to play the hero and and there are times when in trying to play the hero, um, he's not given a chance to play the hero almost like. No, that's not your role, Loki. Like, or or there's so many, there's distru- there's too much distrust, there's too much history. You're not allowed to change course. You, we need you as our villain. Um, is that something that is that a perspective that you brought to your like when you when you when you get assigned a Loki run, are you do you get to decide whether or not this is going to be a heroic Loki or a villainous Loki or some shade in between? Well, I think it's all it's all very collaborative, right? Because it's it's comics. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's there's wherever the the universe is at that time, and uh, the idea is that the the editors, uh, in my case, uh, the editors uh, Will Moss and Sarah Brunstad, 
were coming out of the the War of the Realms crossover. And the status quo of the War of the Realms crossover is that Loki is king of the Frost Giants. And he gets this gig through a heroic act. So the idea of a hero Loki or a king Loki or a Loki who's trying to be a hero was sort of where we were all starting from. And then I think in certainly in in like Marvel and DC comics writing what's exciting for the the writer is getting to pitch like well how do we unpack that not what is the status quo because it's whatever it is when you arrive but how how does it actually play out based on what I know about this character so for me that was that was the entire game it's exactly what you're describing what happens to someone who genuinely tries and the world will not let him because i think that we've all been in that position to some extent whether it's just you know a boss who hates you or a relationship where you're getting punished for trying as hard as you can uh in the the letters column i write about junior high i write about finding out that that you're a bad kid you don't know that you're a bad kid until somebody tells you you're a bad kid yeah, you have this really great line about being um, too clever for your own good and sort of what that phrase means to you um, that I really love. That cleverness is a destructive force in in that phrase, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, very, much, it's very much playing with matches. Uh, and I think that's one of the interesting things about Loki is that you see a lot of Loki as a kid, and his parentage is part of it, and his sibling relationship is part of it. And that's a little rare in superhero comics. I mean, you see them as kids a lot if it's part of their origin story, like Batman or something. But sure. Batman doesn't have an older brother who's a better Batman. <laughs> like, you, you get to see Loki kind of learn that he has a different set of skills and they're not really valued by the culture that he lives in. Mm. Yeah. Odin, uh, you know, certainly in the MCU version of Odin is constantly banging on about worthiness, right? Are you worthy? And like that, that seems to be inherent to Loki is like, I mean, to Thor as well, but like to Loki, this idea of not as worthy as Thor. Um, whatever it is that we're chasing Thor, Thor has a better grasp of it than you sort of thing. Um, and that's, that's a really tough and dramatic thing for a kid. I don't usually, um, I wouldn't usually do this, which is float a theory past you, but, um, I want to do it cause I think it would go somewhere kind of fruitful, which is this idea that like, there's a theory that one of the reasons that these Lokis are being pruned as they are, um, is because they were Lokis that were maybe tending towards heroism rather than villainy. We see uh, Sylvie being sort of snatched from Asgard as a young girl, and and we don't know why. Um, and the only thing we know about her is that she's sort of playing with toys there, and she's playing the hero. She's playing the Valkyrie in that thing. And so I, I, there's this theory I really like that, like, if a Loki tends towards heroism on a path, that's a path that needs pruning because whoever is looking after the sacred timeline needs Loki to play the villain rather than the hero. 
just conceptually, whether or not you think that's true, just conceptually, do you think that's an interesting thing to explore? This idea of like, did Loki ever have a choice to be a hero if someone's out there pruning all the realities where he's uh, where he is one? You know, I love this idea. Uh, yeah, obviously, I can't you know speculate on what is going to happen, but I'm, I'm watching the same show as everybody else, and it is the show where Loki is the protagonist, and he's up against forces. So uh, there's there's something very very logical about it, and something very potentially soul crushing if it does right. pay off that way. Uh, it's yeah, it's very much what I was. It's very much what I was interested in in my run. Um, I think the the last dedicated Loki run before mine is the incredible uh, Agent of Asgard comic mm-hmm. uh, that ran for seventeen issues, I believe. Uh, Al Ewing and mostly Lee Garbutt. And uh, they play with that a lot. I mean, L and uh, and uh, Kieran, those guys are so smart about mythology and about self-aware storytelling. And I I think that that makes sense for a Loki story. If you're gonna if you're gonna figure out what the Loki story is in order to give him a television show, which is often how it works with these Marvel characters, you kind of figure out like what's the Spider-Man story when you're doing your first movie. You know, mm-hmm. what's what's the Batman story? It's probably him and Joker. So the Loki story, if it's not going to involve Thor, it can still be the Loki story philosophically if it's about a guy who can't win. If it's about a guy who, literally because he is a creature of myth, cannot win. And then also as a character who is relatable to us, just like can't catch a break. Like can't can't win in the traditional sense. But also, literally, is not permitted by the universe to win. That's a very interesting and ultimately very tragic idea uh, that I, I really love and I love for the character. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, obviously. Um, but I was just, uh, you know, in thinking it through, I think it would be incredible stuff for Tom Hiddleston to play this idea of I never had a, I never had a chance to be... Thor, <laughs> if you if you need me to be your monster, I don't know. Um, I wanted to ask you something about uh, something I love particularly about your run uh, is how well you. Ca- I mean, there's a lot to love, but how well you. This capture- is very nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's true. It's true. I it think was, it's, we I got think it's just- five beautiful issues that I'm so so proud of. But <laughs> I, I think I said off mic. It's it's tough to get people to buy a book about the bad guy. At least until the TV show comes out, and then people people get excited about it again. <laughs> people want to go back. So, but something, yeah. something that I loved about your run is that you did such a good job of... I mean, it's a complicated thing between Marvel Comics, the publishing arm, and the MCU, right? They're not the same continuity. It's not the same story. But the movies, because they become so predominant in the way in which we think about these characters, can't help but inform the way that those characters are written uh, in the comic side. And so all of a sudden you see characters start to look a little bit more like the actors who are portraying them occasionally. Um, and something that I think you capture so well, and I hope it was intentional, um, is the, you know, the debonair, charming Tom Hiddleston voice, also the Robert Downey Jr. voice, because Iron Man uh, has a role to play. Um, was that your... Please tell me that was your intent, and I'm complimenting you and not insulting you. Oh, no, no, thoroughly, thoroughly. I mean, yeah, my my feeling on all that stuff is how can you not? Uh, 
I think that the 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 old saying, which I don't even know how old a saying it is, I think I might have gotten it from Joe Casada, is that every comic could be somebody's first comic. Mm. And the odds are they're familiar with these characters already. And uh, Loki and Iron Man are really good examples of characters who have been iconically meshed with their actors. Just, there's no going back. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Loki is going to sound like Tom Hiddleston for a, for a real long time. And if I, hadn't, if I hadn't purchased a Loki comic before, I would probably be expecting him to talk, to, uh, talk like Tom Hiddleston Loki. And I think you have a contract with the audience that is open to your interpretation as a creator. If you want to challenge them and be like, hey, I'm going to blow your mind. You know Loki from the movies, but he's actually like this more sinister Jack Kirby creation with uh, what is now Richard E. Grant's costume with <laughs> with like, yes. big curvy horns and sort of a mustache twirling like and he says like thou a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that that was available to me. I imagine it's probably a hard pitch to my editors to say like I wanna I wanna make it as different from the really popular movies as possible. But for me, I love Tom Hiddleston's performance of Loki. I think that he loves and understands that character in one of those kind of all timer actor superhero character pairings that you get, you know, like uh, Ron Perlman as Hellboy or uh, Margot Robbie as, as Harley Quinn. You really feel like they love being that person. And when you see Tom come out as Loki at Comic-Con and just, and just do it, just like not, (laughs) not scripted, just, he's just living it. Uh, That is energy that you should take advantage of as a creator uh, and lean into. And I, I think give, give people enough of what they're expecting that they feel satisfied, but then uh, whet their appetites for whatever twist you're going to put onto it. I think that's brilliant. Um, what are your hopes for these Loki variants that we meet at the end of um, episode four? I mean, I want to see Richard Grant do whatever he's got planned. This is the, <laughs> this is the greatest thing that has ever happened on my television screen. <laughs> um, I I I haven't been reading any of the the rumors. Here's what a here's what a dumb dumb I am. I saw the screen grab of that thing, and I and I had no idea what it was because I didn't watch all through the credits because there's not a post credits scene every time right so right. as soon as that habit is broken i'm just the lazy idiot who stops looking for the easter eggs it's like somebody will, somebody will surely tell me if there's if there's something something else here uh so i started seeing screen grabs of that online and i had to go like retroactively figure out like is this some you know bit torrent leak from china or something it's like no, <laughs> dude. That's in the show. Just just sit patiently for five seconds. <laughs> um, I'm I'm thrilled. I think they're gonna go on a crazy, you know, uh, a crazy uh, Loki's Eleven. Uh, whatever the Ooh. next, whatever the next phase of this this heist is. Um, I think we have two episodes left, so yeah. I have to I have to imagine that it's gonna be some kind of mission to get back to where uh, Sylvie and Guguma Bothra are hanging out. 
I am also excited just to watch Rashidi Grant, I don't know, devour every every stick of scenery uh, <laughs> around him in that incredible costume. And I can't believe uh, they got him to put that costume on. I'm it's really impressed. It's so satisfying. And that's the <laughs> trick, right? Like, they're, they're starting to do that kind of stuff with Spider-Verse. And, you know, from what it sounds like, this new live-action Spider-Man movie might mm-hmm. uh, have... Potentially. Yeah, use that as, like, a proof of concept and... Be like, okay, we're gonna start. We're gonna start getting really meta with now what are now very sophisticated mainstream audiences, and let the different uh, versions of these characters live side by side. But uh, again, that's always been Loki's deal. Did you have a uh, a moment watching the show uh, where you just felt like you were you felt very sure that they knew exactly what they were doing with with Loki? Was there a scene where you're like, oh, yeah, they know. They know who Loki is and they're doing it. Oh, yes, 100%. It's when they go to Pompeii. And Tom <laughs> Tom Hiddleston plays Loki as not, not nihilistic exactly, but sort of like gleefully fatalistic. And they set, they set it up in an earlier scene where he's just so delighted to probably be right about this thing. And he's getting he's getting a foothold for the first time in the series. Uh, he's he's playing by their rules in a way that has earned him a little bit of success. And he's getting very smug very quickly, and he is high status out of nowhere. Uh, that's that's very authentic to me. This idea that he's been knocked on his heels. But as soon as he has the opportunity to be right about something, he immediately goes very, very dark and very, very playful and just has a just has a blast, just ha- having a blast at the end of the world. I love it. Um, and then what do you make of this um, this romance that they've given between Sylvie and Loki, this idea of Loki falling in love with himself? I mean, when you say it outright like that, it kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, if not another Loki, then who? Uh, that's another thing that sort of differentiates Loki from other comic book characters, is that there was never any real attempt at traditional romance, except in that sort of more old-fashioned comic booky way of the, the bad guy has an evil girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Or you know that there'd be other other Asgardian characters uh, that he's attached to in sort of like the the larger soap opera when that cast starts to get really rounded out. But Loki doesn't really seem interested in romance. But I suppose that in meeting another Loki, he is a big enough narcissist that he would be passively charmed into. Caring about caring about a version of himself enough to protect it that the self the self interest could be contagious as long as it was another self. There's also the and this is a reason that I'm responding to it. In addition to every smart thing you just said, is um, this idea of like not having to explain yourself to someone who is so like you. Do you know there's there's this question of like would you rather would you rather your partner be just like you or would you rather par- you ra- your partner be um 
challenge you on every sort of level. And and it's good to be challenged. And, and I don't think we could accuse Sylvia of not challenging Loki. But I think this idea of a familiarity, a relief of like not having to constantly explain yourself, because Loki has always come from this position of being othered in Asgard, right? This idea of, of having to sort of justify his existence, having to explain himself. Nobody understands him. He's constantly being thought of as the villain when maybe that's not what he was even trying to do. And this idea of, of the relief, I can imagine, of not having to justify your own existence <laughs> to someone else who has experienced those things you've experienced. Do you know? I viscerally relate to this. I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it. I've been married for about four years, and uh, we're expecting our first child uh, yesterday. She is congratulations. Hey, thank you. Uh, yeah, she's she's running she's running a little late. Uh, but what usually happens with the Loki show is that I watch it immediately to avoid spoilers, and then my wife Jennifer and I watch it again later in the day. And I was watching the bit where they're fleeing from the 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 comets, you know, the shards of of planet, and he yells out, "You're so weird!" at her, and the effortless shorthand of talking to someone who is essentially you, in a teasing but also difficult <laughs> difficult to describe like utterly intimate way like a way that's completely free of boundaries that's something i really relate to in my fourth year of marriage is that we've we've functionally become especially after a quarantine we functionally become two halves of the same person which <laughs> uh is is really nice i think sometimes it's called codependency sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it's called enmeshing is my understanding so it really depends on you know if things are going if things are going well Right, right. Uh, but but since things are going well, I, I told her, I, I see it. I totally see it. There's a couple on TV that reminds me of us, and it's because they are one person. I love that. Um, something that I want to circle back to, this idea of like what makes the Loki story, something that I love that's in your comic is um, this idea of like, uh, if Loki's not if Loki's not starting the story being cast out of somewhere, is it truly a Loki story? Is the question that you ask. Um, and I think the show fulfills this prompt. You know what I mean? Like he he starts literally like sort of sailing out of somewhere and then yanked out of Earth. Um, so it's it's that sort of like disruptive pull or push or shove. Um, is that is that how you view it? Absolutely. I, I think that's in the DNA. I think that if you're looking for that core, especially in a self-aware way, when the the semi-omniscient trickster, ten steps ahead narrator is telling you what his story is, uh, I certainly was always looking for the balance of what does he know, what does he not know, how do I keep the danger real? But at the same time, he is like, a god telling his own story. <laughs> so right. you're you're going to you're going to break the fourth wall a little in a in a Loki Loki's name on the cover comic book is probably going to break the fourth wall a little bit. And I had most recently I think before that done a, a Deadpool versus Black Panther story where Deadpool has similar kind of uh fourth wall breaking mm -hmm. abilities. His are accepted culturally loki's are written in loki literally has the power to 
screw around with story. So he knows how his story started. He was a frost giant who ended up in Asgard. And then he got exiled from Asgard. Like, that's his that's his deal. Loki gets kicked out. He uh, starts trouble, and he gets asked to leave. The first time was not by choice. That's what makes it tragic. But I think what all the recurring superheroes are doing, and what a lot of us are doing in various ways that makes us relate to them, is living these repeated patterns. And... Over, you know, the course of many, many decades, and maybe indefinitely, because the the demands of the readership in the marketplace won't let these characters change too much, uh, are, are exploring their trauma and growing tiny, 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 tiny bits at a time. Yeah. And I guess um, the last thing that I want to... And, and, like, that's that's been a... I'm, I'm really enjoying these Disney plus shows, some, some more than others as, as it should be. But like, um, that has been sort of a, not a critique, but just sort of an observation that I've seen that some folks are wondering, like if these are acting as kind of interstitial stories between MCU films uh, to, to go back to your Jokasada quote, like you can't presume <laughs> that everyone watching the movies has seen all the television. And so I kind of think that like whatever happens in the TV, uh, even if we get introduced to characters, there still is going to have to be a, a viewer friendly way into the films. And in that way, can those characters demonstrably change over the course of the TV show or do they have to stay in a certain, uh, on, on a certain path? I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Well, I think it's, potentially a valid criticism to say that the characters are not changing enough because I think the audience has never been more savvy about what is necessary for these franchises to continue. I think there's a little bit of Dunning-Kruger effect in there where we don't really know as much as we think we do and we <laughs> right. project these kind of like, you know, these master plans onto onto Warner Brothers and Disney executives that are not really borne out by reality because like yeah i certainly saw samuel jackson show up at the end of the first iron man movie and we all had our theories about where it was going but no one can replace like or no one can predict like edward norton being replaced with mark ruffalo right like it, <laughs> right. like just this is this is happening on such a massive scale that things just Things just happen, like regular showbiz things happen. Like they're not, they're not gods. Like the plan, the plan changes constantly. And I think the strength of the writing is that they remember what they've done already and capitalize on it retroactively to look like geniuses. And I think that is a kind of genius is to is to hold it all in your head and take advantage of all the opportunities that you've maybe subconsciously set up for yourself. But like. At the end of the day, they're not immune to the rules of regular television programs, which are just, the characters don't change that much on The Office either. You, you know, right. like, they get married or they have a baby, but they don't, they don't change the way that Thanos doing the snap changes everything. Like, right. it's a very, it's a very recent promise that there is going to be these massive status quo shifts in movies and television programs 
for for most of for most of the history of this kind of media, it's just it's just uh, Seinfeld. It's it just happens until it doesn't. <laughs> right. Um. And then I and then I just wanted to. I mean, so for folks who haven't read your run, I hope they go out and read it right now. It's a it's an like heartbreakingly short read because it's only five issues. And so, but you know, if someone's feeling daunted, I can say you're just going to read five issues. You're going to read them lickety split. They're so good. They're so fun. Um, it's one paperback and- too. It's just the one book. <laughs> Um, but I was wondering if you could talk about sort of what happened, uh, with, with your run there. Uh, well, it ended, obviously, uh, you've, you've stated as much. <laughs> um, I think it just got, I think it just got canceled, canceled. I mean, there was never yeah. a conversation about making any changes to it or, you know, trying to put Spider-Man on the cover more. Honestly, we put Wolverine on the cover of number five before we knew it was going to get canceled. And that's the kind of thing that historically you do in comics to raise sales, is you put Wolverine <laughs> on the cover and he, right. he saves the day. So that was something that we had already planned on doing. Um, no, I think it's just, it's just a tough sell. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird book. Um, my biggest influence in writing it, uh, obviously in addition to, to Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki in the movies and to the many, many, many incredible, uh, Loki and just you know, Thor comics, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that shaped this character. I was also thinking a lot about Sandman. I was thinking about comics about regular people. Yeah. Uh, brushing up against the cosmic and about cosmic people uh, trying to be regular people. And it's not quite the same as as Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus. Uh, I think that comics are tough in general because there's so much good, weird, new, interesting stuff coming out all the time. Uh, especially... Um, not, not especially, but um, uh, I would say even in superhero titles uh even in the characters who are very familiar and very commercialized there's still all of this weird challenging status quo disrupting stuff that happens pretty regularly uh but there's also a lot of habit buying there's a lot of people who buy the titles that they buy and it's kind of hard to get to a comic book store for a lot of people you know they don't have them in the the supermarket uh, like they yeah. they did it at one point in the the medium's history so uh, it's it's tough to get people to take a chance on something new and on something weird and i just feel really really lucky that for the folks who did read it they've had such incredibly kind things to say and that it is getting this little second life from the the tv show i i hope people check out uh, all of the the loki comics the ones that i read to to help me figure out who who this person was Excellent. Well, um, folks can get your Loki comic where they get most comics. And um, Daniel, thanks so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Uh, where can folks find you online if they if they want to follow you? I am at Kibblesmith on social media, which we're all trying to use a little less, I think. And <laughs> I am at Kibblesmith.com. And you're about to be a dad, so we might we, you might vanish entirely. Yeah, but then again, you... there's... There's those late night sort of feeding times or whatever that where social media you might you might start social mediaing at weird hours that might that might happen as well. I'm either going to vanish entirely or there's going to be a lot of like 2 a.m. shower thoughts and baby pictures. <laughs> Excellent.
<laughs> All right. Thanks so much. I look forward to the shower thoughts. All right. Finally, a voice you might be a little bit more familiar with. It's Anthony Bresdikin. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Joanna Robinson. Good to be with you. <laughs> Always great to have you here. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're doing things a little differently this week because Richard has been pruned away to France. Um, uh, on this on this episode of Still Watching Loki, we are going to do a little bit of mailbag uh, work here in the back third with you. Excellent. Uh, so we can check in with our listeners who wrote in, as always, very thoughtful, interesting uh, emails. But before we get to that, I mean, is there anything that you want to make sure we talk about before we get into emails? Uh, well, uh, folks have already heard uh, Mark Bernardin talk to you, right, about the show. So, sure. um I wanted to say, coincidentally, I have a, a feature on Mark Bernardin in his new graphic novel, Adora and the Distance, coming out. So you can see that on VanityFair.com. And uh, it's just one of the crazy things about being thrown into the void at the end of time together. Is that we're somehow uh, uh, all of our lives are touching right here on this podcast in, in uh, surprising ways. Um, so yeah, so you guys can go over and, and read up on Mark and everything that he's up to. He's always doing 1 million different projects. So he's, yeah. he's just the busiest guy. We, we So thank him, of course, for taking time to talk to me about Loki. Um, how about anything about the episode that you want? Is there anything you want to talk about? Well, the first thing I asked was, did you talk to Mark about Frog <laughs> Thor? Because, you know, <laughs> my wife and I watched it at midnight and after a long day, you know, you start to doubt your senses, and as the as the camera pans down, and we're looking at, I guess there are some sort of lunch trays. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, uh, a, a a jar with a little frog in it who's dressed as Thor, leaping around, and the frog is labeled T three six five, which I'm guessing is Thor issue number three six five, which I believe is from nineteen sixty six. Mark probably already, and you probably already covered this ground, but. Uh, I was right away like, what is that? I can't say that I was ever aware that frog that Thor turned into a frog and led the frogs in a battle against <laughs> alligators uh, and uh, and rats, some sort of epic war of the vermin. <laughs> so I was uh, aware of Frog Loki, uh, Frog Thor, only because um, I read too much Reddit, and Reddit was like. Frog Thor when? When when Alligator Loki showed up, they're like, why isn't there Frog Thor? There's Alligator Loki. And mm. then there was Frog Thor for them. So it was a cute little, cute I did little know, Easter egg. I did know the Thanos copter. So I think that this episode with the uh, this sort of uh, abandoned carnival of discarded uh, remnants from other variants is a great place for the writers to really stretch and throw easter eggs at us just totally rapid totally. fire like elf throwing snowballs easter egg, <laughs> easter, egg easter egg completely completely what's with the what's with the the i gotta ask you know what what's with the uh food trays the tv dinner trays i don't know but mark and i were theorizing that perhaps that's how people bust their trays at the tva they just sap it into uh into the, <laughs> into the void but i don't have a better answer than that so <laughs> that's funny doesn't homer simpson do something like that when there's like a black hole like he feeds the black hole <laughs> just by throwing junk into it all the time and it grows. <laughs> I mean, it would be tempting. Tempting mm -hmm. to just sort of make all your dishes go away by zapping them. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I do think this was a fairly organic place to put just one million different Easter eggs and uh, in a way and, that it didn't bother me, you know? And the most ridiculous comic yeah. book tropes, yeah. of, you know, and, and flights of fancy. Like the Thanos copter never, like, I don't know. The, 
the Mad Titan just going around in a little bell helicopter never, never really made sense to me, but there you go. So I want to start by asking you about the man behind the curtain, which is a reference that they make. I mean, the, I told I told Mark this a little bit, but like the, the Easter egg, the, the reference that felt the strongest to me was the smoke monster from Lost, but that's probably because I talk about Lost every week on a Lost podcast, but... Um, Eliath is a is a comic book yeah. figure. It's not it's not like they made it up. It is a comic book figure. It just it we call we call the smoke monster on my last podcast. We call it the old clickety clack because it oh, has yeah, yeah. this like sound design. And there's just a similar sound. Yeah, it, there's right? a similar sound design on this particular smoke monster. So um, it made me think of that. But um, but there's a bunch of uh, Eliath and a few other things like um, the the thing that we thought was Avengers Tower. I mean, it is Avengers Tower, but instead of saying having the A on it for Avengers, it had um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I think it's Kang, but it's Q E N G Tower, and mm. that is a reference to Kang the Conqueror in the mm. comic books. Um, that he mm-hmm. he like in one of his guises bought the Stark Tower and put the Kang thing on it anyway um there are a lot of kang references uh in all of this um and I'm so feeling one, pretty good about our kang theorizing okay so one of the questions that christina asked was it has to be kang in that castle right like the color scheme this episode matches his own and then Elioth, do you think there is still a chance it's not kang and if so on a scale of one to ten how pissed will the fans be all signs point to kang that I feel like it would be just a huge F you if they make it something else, someone else. And this is from Christina. <clears throat> so I want to throw that to you, but I want to say really quickly, we Mark and I talked about this a little bit, not this question directly, but just a little bit about Kang. But the question is, what does Christina mean by fans? Because, because the only people who might be irate if a Kang didn't show up are people who have a lot of comic knowledge or people who spend a lot of time on Reddit, right? Because if mm. you're just like a casual viewer – None of these little, you know, breadcrumbs are going to add up to Kang in your mind because you don't know who the heck Kang is. So yeah. what what do you think about that, Anthony? Well, yeah, I mean, I think those casual fans roll with the punches on everything. So they're never the ones who are going to be distraught if something doesn't happen. Um, But I think they've hyped Kang enough and they've talked about the casting, confirmed the casting of Jonathan Majors. So who we we've name checked quite a few times here. Um, so I think they're clearly building to something, but I still think there's a reversal coming. I got my eye on Miss Minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, more, Kang. more, more than ever. I have got my eye on Miss Minutes as well. I, I agree with you. Here's the thing. If it is Kang, he's, how is he monitoring what goes on mm-hmm. at the TVA? And if you want to know what's going on in your business, how, what better way than to be the living Slack channel that, <laughs> that consults with everybody, you know? For sure. The live Clippy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how I feel about Kang at this point without a name check yet in the series. I know we've talked about it as a potential theory, but, like, I'm kind of starting to lean towards they can't make Kang the big bad, but that they could, you know, and and Mark sort of mentioned this possibility, they could sort of set him up as a post-credits tease. But here's here's a here's an observation from Liz. Liz writes in and she says about who the man behind the curtain is. By the way, man behind the curtain is of course a Wizard of Oz reference, but it also happens to be a title of an episode of Lost. Um 
Liz wrote, this show has been tight and efficient with its characters, and whoever it is needs to be of emotional impact to Loki and Sylvie. To us, that feels like it narrows it down to another Loki variant, as there isn't really anyone else in the cast that could have that much of an emotional impact. So what do you think about that idea that, like, Kang might not pack the emotional punch required to make a satisfactory ending? It's just some some stranger, I mean, as as fantastic as Jonathan Majors is, and I believe he could sell anything, a stranger twirling his mustache out of the shadows at our heroes versus somebody they've seen already and know already in the show, whether it's a Loki variant or Mobius or Ravana or something like that. What hmm. do you think? Uh, yes, it makes sense. Typically, Marvel does not hide its villain, like the element of surprise. It's not an Agatha Christie story where you're you're shocked at who done it. I think the closest they came was probably Agatha in um, WandaVision. Well, I mean, I, I would I would agree with you about the MCU, but I would well, I mean, with a few exceptions, you know, like Robert Redford, but that's like that comes like midway through Winter Soldier, yeah. but like, but um. But with the Disney Plus shows, because it's not just Agatha, it's also Sharon Carter, right? Like that. This, oh yeah, yeah. You're right. This about has that. been sort of their approach for the TV shows. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're. They, you're. Yeah, you're right. They, in the movies, they don't. The villain usually declares himself or herself. And now with the shows, they're kind of building up to little reveals, and I think it's a way of adding a twist several episodes deep that keeps things mixed up and fresh. So yeah, I, that's why I think there's going to be. I don't know whether I believe Ravona that she doesn't believe. Uh, I don't know if I believe her that she doesn't know who who's actually running things, who's actually pulling the strings, who's the person behind the curtain. Um, but I do suspect that Kang is a part of it. I just think they've laid too much groundwork for it to go back now. Um, but I could also see there being a Loki that Loki is his own worst enemy, right? That. Uh, that maybe there is a, a bigger bad. I'm not sure who would play that version of him. Would it be Tom Hiddleston? Uh, it, it might be, be Hiddleston. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I keep coming back. <laughs> I feel unwilling to let go of this idea of of Mobius being a Loki variant. And there's a couple things in, that he says in this episode um, that sort of reinforces that for me. Um, at one point, he, like, when they're in the void, he says, well, you can't throw a rock in here without hitting a Loki, which just felt like a little bit like if he's a Loki himself, it's kind of funny. But then also when he's talking to, um, when he's talking to classic Loki, is played by Richard E. Grant, um, he says something about, like, uh, the twist, the, he says, um, he's talking about allig- alligator Loki, <laughs> and he says, maybe he's lying the long con the long con of course that just makes him more likely to be a loki it's always the game mm. within the within the game with you guys which i respect something that mobius says yeah it's always the game within the game with you guys which i respect the long con uh, also uh, another name of a lost episode <laughs> um but you know it's um i guess you those are good clues but i i also just feel like he's not deceiving us when he has issues with the the rings like maybe mobius is as surprised as anybody to find that yeah a variant of that he, oh you know what it could be is a Mo- mobius variant could be a mobius variant or it could be that he's a loki variant and he doesn't know he's a loki variant something that i think yeah. is interesting is that like b15 had we talked about this last week but b15 had her awakening um by seeing her past life but mobius finds out the truth without 
diving into without evidence yeah he yeah. doesn't go back to the past so yeah. and he says maybe i had a jet ski and we're all like oh yeah we, we called it the 90s jet ski that's definitely where mobius is from but the t- the show has still not told us who mobius was before he worked at the tva you're right you know which is mm-hmm. which is dicey to me so which means there's a reveal still to come there they're yeah. gonna have to show you yeah or at least tell us so yeah. there you go uh so i don't know i mean like it would i think it would break Loki Prime's heart. I mean, he hugged Mobius. You know, he was like, "My friend, thank you." You mm. know, teary eyed. Like, I think it would break his heart if that, if that, if he were the big bad in some way. But there are things that have happened that make it feel less likely to me. So I'm not, I'm not 100 percent sold mm. in it. I just, I'm just got my eye on it. You know? He also says, "What are you going to do?" And he goes, "Burn it to the ground," which doesn't sound like something a hero says, right? <laughs> like maybe, maybe his whole game was to. Destabilize the TVA. Yeah, destabilize the TVA. And he's like, oh. how can I use these Lokis to do that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I just think it's interesting. And I'm and I'm trying to understand the Ravana Mobius relationship a bit better because, you know, sometimes they throw hints into those previously ons of like, we want to make sure you paid attention <laughs> to mm-hmm. this moment, you know? And one of the things in the previously on was Ravana talking to Mobius and talking about how she's trying to protect him yeah so i don't know like maybe he is a loki who's who she like had a soft spot for and she keeps wiping his memory to keep him on his loop or you know and if he finds out the truth i don't know i don't know but something something's some reveal is coming for mobius some kind yeah they're definitely laying groundwork i yeah agree 100 percent um all right. Uh, Amy wrote in and she says, uh, what makes a Loki a Loki is obviously a central question of the show. But to me, it feels like the character slash emotional thesis of the show is we Lokis don't need to be alone. You can track this all the way through Loki's appearances in the MCU, even in Thor The Dark World, when cut off in prison, he makes one of the worst choices that leads to Frigga's death. Thinking about that in regards to Loki joining Sylvie and the strength of them to change the course of the universe. What are your thoughts about where the next ep might go? And do you have any overarching thesis for Loki emotional slash lore or otherwise? Amy, what do you think? Um, about yeah, that? I think this has become the theme is that m- more the merrier, right? To, 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 to be glib about it. Um, Loki in Loki is finding a family, but they're all fellow Loki. So, um, He's also meeting people who have regrets uh, about whether, you know, kid Loki killed Thor. And I don't know, maybe he doesn't feel bad about that. But the others uh, didn't classic Loki say he missed Thor. Yeah, that's why he came uh, out of isolation. Yeah. And uh, and so, um, you know, this notion of you don't have to be a bad guy. You can do the right thing. Of course, that's what gets you pruned because Lokis are not supposed to do the right thing. But um you know, I, I like the notion of, uh, I still think there's a King Herod biblical element to this mm. because, okay, if you do something that gets you pruned or gets you, attracts the attention of the TVA, it's not just being different because all these Lokis are so different from each other, right? You'd think the arrival of a female Loki just from birth would be, oh, whoops, this is the bad timeline. Like we got to nip this back because there should be only one, right? It seems like Lokis are allowed to exist as long as they stay dastardly. Right. Um, so right. what is it that the Lokis who go good do 
that threatens the timekeepers. Like, I don't think there's just one timeline. I think there's maybe a, uh, a rope made up of many timelines. Yeah. Yes. We've seen that. I think in the, in the animated depiction, there's little, did they describe it that way? I don't know that they described as a rope. I think that's a really smart way to describe it, but Mm -hmm. I think we have seen sort of like different tendrils and cords. And that was a question that someone asked. Let me find that question really quickly. But like, um, they were asking sort of how, how can there be these various variants? Wouldn't the, Oh yeah, here it is. Okay. Um, Rob wrote in and said, why don't all Loki variants look like Tom Hiddleston? By the possibly false narrative of the TVA, there's one timeline, and any time a person creates a Nexus event, they become a variant, and the TVA nabs them. This occurs before the branch timeline reaches the red line and becomes permanent, so the TVA can and does just reset the timeline. So how could there be ever have been a branch of the timeline that happens before Loki's birth to cause him to be born an alligator or a woman, etc.? That branch would have been reset immediately upon his mm-hmm. nexus event occurring rather than being allowed to continue to create an alternate universe slash timeline. I understand that the whole idea of the single sacred timeline may well be proven a lie, but you think they'd at least clue the viewer into how the TVA agents explain the phenomenon of alternative variants. Am I missing something? And I think to that, Rob, I would say um, not every diversion from the sacred timeline is a nexus event. Not every diversion is something that is going to cause uh the timeline to go in 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 a way that the timekeepers don't want it to. So in in theory there's a reality where Loki is an alligator <laughs> and like does everything they need Loki to do and that branch as you as you described it a rope would just weave back into the mm-hmm. main timeline. It wouldn't branch off in a dramatic way. That would explain why Cap and Peggy would be able to maybe exist. Oh boy. <laughs> In their timeline without getting pruned. Right? Maybe, 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 maybe. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, why the Avengers could jump back and forth through time. Cause at one point right. they say, well, they're supposed to do that. Right. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. Right. So the, que- so, that, so I think it's the supposed to that is the subjective element here. Correct. So what is a Nexus event? What happens when it crosses that threshold where it can't be pruned back? Right. And I think. That what they're actually pruning back are threats to the powers that be behind that curtain. I agree with you completely. Right. So if you're a Loki who goes good, they know the prophecy is that, uh, oh, a savior will rise. You know, this 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 chosen one will come and, and take you down. So they have to take down any Loki. That's why there are so many of them there, because the minute they go, they go good or develop a conscience, they get nixed. That's like a classic fairy tale sort of thing or, or like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing where like, I don't know, let's say the evil step stepmother, evil queen or whatever has every baby in the kingdom drowned because, you know, a baby is just a killer, but she misses one. It's Willow, mm-hmm. right? Um, Willow. You know, she, she misses, you just, you just need to miss one. Or, or in this case, <laughs> you know? or in this case, you, you, you nip them all in the bud, you take them all out and you end up gathering them all in one place so you have an army of loki's coming stronger together to uh yeah exactly there really was like a lot of wizard of oz stuff i thought the manifestation of uh of asgard with the green loki yeah yeah very emerald city and it did look very emerald city no no no. i mean i i i agree with you but i'm not i haven't seen a lot of people say it but i definitely thought that in my head the other movie reference i don't think i brought this up with mark but you know when um when loki's running to create his a uh, diversion uh, for the for the smoke monster that felt very like Ian Malcolm with the flare running out of the jeep, waving mm-hmm. it, being like, "Hey, <laughs> over here!" 
don't attack her, attack me sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, to, to go back to what you said about this idea of, um, of like why they're pruning these Lokis in, in, in at what point, right? Because we find, so we find out that kid Loki killed Thor and that was his Nexus event. I just want to say in kid Loki's defense, we don't know what that Thor was like. Maybe that Thor was evil. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't know what version of Thor that was that he killed. Um, but um, classic Loki was pruned, not because he evaded um, Thanos. Um, and, and something that's interesting is, um, uh, th- did you know that that was a common fan theory <laughs> at the time in Infinity War? That uh, Tom Hiddleston's Loki had just sort of like hidden himself in the debris in the background <laughs> and was still alive. And so I felt like they were oh, kind of really? lampshading that fan theory by saying, yes, oh. that's what Richard E. Grant's Loki did. But he gets pruned not not because he escaped death, but because he came out of isolation. This idea of like goodness and non-isolation and all this sort of stuff. This is a question that Abby has. Of all the Lokis here, Richard E. Grant's Loki is the one who spent the most time alone and processed all the things that make a Loki a Loki and came out the other side of it unsure of his worth or usefulness and feeling doomed. This affects his ability to have that bold side of Loki we all know throughout the episode. He's always the one needing clarification or explanation from others. It's only when Mobius tells him it's never too late to change that something clicks for classic Loki. And he's unable to, ironically enough, fulfill the same type of purpose the TVA has for all Lokis, to sacrifice himself so others could be the best versions of themselves. I love this development so much and this episode as a whole and Richard E. Grant brought dignity to that insane costume. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I I completely agree. It's not really a question, but I, I just think that that's, that was definitely something that they wanted us to pay attention to, this idea of, of change for Loki, right? It's never too late to change who you are. I think that's a powerful message. And, uh, you know, as a kid, he used to get into a lot of trouble in the back of the classroom and <laughs> was a smart aleck and really not much of anything worth saving i'm really grateful to the people in my life who saw potential for something better and so i think every person needs to hear that if you're told you're bad i think i said this in the last episode but if you're told you're bad and told you're worthless and told you're undeserving of anything including love or happiness or forgiveness you really start to believe it and 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 i think that makes a lot of toxic people but the, the minute you um, because, because if you, if you're told that over and over again and you believe it, you kind of sabotage when good things happen to you because it's just some part of you that won't accept it. And I think these Lokis are discovering, maybe there is something about me that's salvageable, which is funny because they're in sort of a cosmic junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> One theory I saw, and I saw it on Reddit and I apologize, I don't have the user's name, but in terms of like this balance of like, are we going to get a Kang reveal or are we going to get something more Loki centric uh, in the finale, they posit this idea that like in order to take down whoever is behind the TVA uh, right now, be it a Loki variant or whoever in doing so, our Lokis might accidentally free a Kang who's been held prisoner. Like maybe Kang was running the TVA. He's been imprisoned by a Loki and they free him. So he's not the big bad of the season, but they are responsible for unleashing him on the MCU. Um, mm. You know, just a that's a that's a wild out of out of uh, out of just the thoughts in that person's head theory. But I but I don't dislike it because it it involves Kang without making Kang 
the emotional fulcrum of the ending. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the tricky balance, right? Is you don't want to just throw in a rando who, and people go, who are, who's Kang? Like, right. right. There has to be some, there does have to be some thread back to something we've seen before. I, I just don't know where that's going to be. Yeah, it's true. It's good that they've got, got us along this far without <laughs> us totally figuring it out. I know it's true. It's true. It's good. It's good. I mean, like the Ravana stuff is so interesting. Cause like I am on, you know, you said you thought she was lying about not knowing who was behind the TVA. We know that she's lying for some of this episode, but Gugu Mbatha Ra is so good at whatever she's doing that I genuinely don't know. I mean, I knew she was, I knew she was lying when she was like, I'm going to help you, Sylvie. And yes, we're going to go save Loki and stuff like that. I knew that was a lie. But there's other things where I'm like, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. You know when she's like, let's figure this out and sort of save the day. I'm like, really? Cause you were just like, oh yeah. About to sacrifice everybody yeah. and take them down. Like, did she not really know that those were animatronics and not the real the real powers behind the throne like i just i don't know that i trust that character i agree i don't trust her i the only thing that i kind of trust is like b15's read of her Mm. i don't know why b15's read of her would be incorrect why they would show us that scene if it were incorrect and she was just saying like you want to know who's behind all this because you don't you know Mm. so i'm you know i don't know it's it's something to think about but um Speaking of of people who might crop up, this is something I briefly mentioned in the first segment, but I want to drop the full thing on you. I love it when our listeners go granular. Joy wrote in and she said, going off something Joanna said about the end credits when you guys were discussing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, in the Loki end credit sequence, there are two cards left that haven't had names attached. The shot of the card catalog and the shot of the Loki file stamped apprehended. So far, here's the order. Tom Hiddleston, Sofia DiMartino, Gugu Mbathara, Wunmi Musaku, Eugene Cordero, Sasha Lane, Tara Strong, Jack Veal, Diobia Oparai, blank, Richard E. Grant, blank, Owen Wilson. So going in order, and something that I noticed in the credit, I didn't, I didn't notice those blanks, so thank you, thank you, Joy. Joy says, going by this, I feel like whoever those last two names are, they're going to be important, either to, the, either to the story or a big-name actor. So maybe people theorizing about Kang, Jonathan Majors are onto something, or it's after playing characters no one's discussed yet. Either way, I'm feeling pretty excited about whatever episode six has in store. The placing of those blanks is interesting because uh, if you pay attention to uh, actor billing credits mm-hmm. on things, um, Richard E. Grant got a special guest star uh, before his name, which is something your agent negotiates for you. It's a, like a, you know a special status. And Owen Wilson has a whip with Owen Wilson at the end. And that's also something your agent will negotiate for you, special status. But there's something in between special guest star Richard E. Grant and with Owen Wilson um, that, you know, could be and uh, Jonathan Majors or and Renee Russo or and Chris Hemsworth or something like that. I don't want to get us too hyped for actors who aren't going to appear, but um, that's just something to pay attention to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I agree. Who would you who would like other than Jonathan Majors? Is there is who would be on your wish list for someone who might show up? Uh, n- knowing that we're not getting our hopes up too high, and we won't be mad if no one shows up. Wanda. Wanda. <laughs> you want yeah. Elizabeth Olsen? Well, and she's, Elizabeth Olsen. She's scanning the multiverse, right? Oh, Looking true. for her boys. So true. True. You know, I love it. Um. All right, we got this fun email from uh, Tom about Loki mythology. Tom Rinson says, while watching the show Loki, I came to the realization that he seems to have an almost backwards story arc in the MCU compared to Norse mythology. 
In the MCU, Loki starts off being more of a bad guy and softens as it goes on. In Norse mythology, Loki would regularly do things to annoy the other gods, but for the most part, his tricks were relatively harmless. He wasn't an evil god and was trusted by the others until he was responsible for the death of Baldur. In fact, the fourth episode even referenced a trick he pulled that led to the creation of probably the most famous item from Norse mythology. In the story, Loki, for some reason, decided it would be funny to cut Sif's hair. He promised to make things right for her. He then had two sets of doors set out to make gifts for the gods. There were six things made total, but the most important of them being new hair for Sif and Mjolnir, Thor's hammer. If it wasn't for Loki being a prankster, Thor would never have his hammer. This isn't any theorizing or anything like that. Just some observations I had and I thought you'd find it interesting. So... Well, I do find it interesting. <laughs> well, what we saw was a reference to the creation of Mjolnir uh, in that haircut time loop with Sif. So I thought that was kind of fun. Hmm. Um, I, we didn't get an email about this, but I wanted to ask you how you're feeling about the Sylvie-Loki connection. It feels a little weird to me, to be honest. Does it? Because it's starting to get romantic. At least it feels intimate. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. They feel like brother and sister to me. So, like, it's just, I don't know how you're supposed to feel about that. Is that, is that what you're asking me? Like, uh, yeah. Does it, does the romance play for you or does it not? It just kind of doesn't. I know, I know they're separate and it's, they're playing off of a narcissist thing, but uh, yeah. I mean, I like that they have a bond. I don't, I don't ship these characters. I guess I'll put it that way. I uh, I don't know. Um, you and Mark, I will say you and Mark had the exact same reaction. I think he also used the word weird and he used it many more times than you did. So you're mm -hmm. not alone in this dance. Plenty of people feel this way. I'm not bothered by it. Um, uh, the the image of Tom Hiddleston like frantically running, doing the big hero romance run through the airport, but like through a junkyard to get to Sylvie, I, that worked on me. And like their blanket moment worked on me and all of that sort of stuff. Like I like, I like them. It just feels like a meeting of the true mind sort of thing. I'm, I'm into it. So, you know, but, but, but plenty of people are not. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, anything else you want to talk about in this episode? What else do you want to discuss? Elias. I would like, yeah. you know, we already mentioned the smoke monster aspect. I mm -hmm. think, you know, look, he's a he's a he's a nebulous character, literally. <laughs> I guess it, I'm gendering it. It, it it's a it, I, I guess what was it? it's kind of a Godzilla looking thing based on the face, right? Like a, or T Rex, yeah, T Rex, smoky T Rex. Godzilla. Um, it felt very Godzilla when it was attacking the uh, the Emerald City version of uh, Asgard. It was and if like, I'm correct, yeah. Eliath isn't like it's not ancient comics lore. It's just like maybe twelve or thirteen years back, right? Yeah, not that old, I think. So I think uh, anybody who's read my work knows I write a lot about Stephen King and King had a short or a novella called the Langoliers, which was about a plane that flew through a, uh, some sort of time vortex and only the people who were asleep on the plane came out the other side. Everybody else vanished. Everybody who was conscious vanished. So there are like nine or 10 people who wake up on a plane that has no pilots. And one of the people, you know, lucky for them, is a, is a pilot who was, you know, taking the flight back. I think he has a funeral to get to or something. So he can land the plane. And they land at the airport, and 
they realize that that the world around them, the food is that they find is like diminishing in flavor. The colors are becoming desaturated and the world itself is aging. And they make, they theorize that they are, that this is sort of the remnant of a past time and that is growing stale. And there are these things on the, that come to the world called the Langoliers that are just sort of like these nebulous shapes that munch away and just essentially like, they're like the good bacteria that just devours <laughs> the remains and and uh, of of past timelines. And I can't help but think that Eliath is basically a big Langolier from Stephen King. When was the Langoliers written? It was, uh, I want to say like early 90s. Okay. Uh, maybe like 91, 92. Eliath uh, appears first time in 93 in the comics. Mm-hmm. So the timeline could definitely work out. It also feels very um, the nothing from the Neverending Story to me. Oh, yeah. Um also. But yeah, I mean like here's let me just read like one paragraph from the Marvel uh, wiki for Eliath just to like help people know how much of this feels Kang related. Kang created a barrier preventing Eliath from entering his domain after Kang was left on the brink of death, Ravana, the Terminatrix, assumed his identity and took over his empire. While investigating errors earlier in time, she accidentally released Elias, who then threatened Kang's former domain and all the other temporal dominions. Further up the time stream, Ravana and Revelation were able to revive Kang, who provided the Avengers with the Chrono Key to use against Elias. So, like, this is all, it is all Kang lore. The Chronopolis, the city that we see as mm. the clouds part, that's the Kang lore. Like, you know, it's just all, it is all Kang lore. It does feel wild that it wouldn't be Kang. It just also feels like they should have dropped some Kang references in earlier if that's who it was going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, Is this a little bit like Loki being the front man for the invasion of New York, but really it was Thanos behind the scenes? Like, Are they laying the groundwork for Kang to be the Thanos of the next big cycle of Marvel? I mean, I, I, I definitely think that they are planning for Kang to be Thanos. Like, I definitely don't think he's just an Ant-Man villain. And one of the reasons that I think that is just because of the way that like Jonathan Majors has talked about it. Do you know what I mean? I think this feels like a bigger, bigger commitment than just showing up in one Marvel movie. So I, I, uh, you know, Mark made a similar comparison. You guys are both very smart about this stuff. So I think you're probably right that like we, once again, we might get like a post credit sting as we did in Avengers of like, who's that purple guy? (laughs) You know what I mean? But like, but it didn't make sense for Thanos to descend and like be in the battle of New York for that story that they were telling. It made sense for that villain to be Loki. Do you know? Because you're building to it, right? That's just the first act. It's the end of the first phase, but it's the really the first act in a bigger, like what they call it, the infinity cycle. Yeah. Uh, We got an an email sort of, uh, Kind of about this from Christina. Christina wrote, at this point, it seems unavoidable that the young Avengers are being set up for the MCU. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast. We met mm-hmm. Kid Loki in this episode, right? And I, like many, suspect Kang is connected to the TVA. I also know from the comics that Kid Loki reassembles the young Avengers at one point. So I highly suspect that Kang will be the villain of a young Avengers movie and some version of Loki will assemble the team to stop him. Because... My memory of this is that Kang, who shows up in as various guises throughout Marvel Comics, one of his guises is as a young, a member of the Young Avengers. There's like a young version of Kang that sort of infiltrates Young Avengers, I think, or something like that. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I, uh, th- this Young Avengers stuff feels like a really long game they're playing. 
Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely could involve Kang in in some way. Um, yeah, Iron Lad is uh, is a Kang guys. So there you go. Um, I love that name, Iron Lad. <laughs> That's such a cute little little thing. <laughs> um all right so i think i mean those are those are most of the those are i think all the emails that we got um so i'm just uh yeah i I guess do you have any other thoughts or feelings or or predictions oh have you you seem like someone who might have done this have you read the uh, the the book snow crash by Mm. neil stevenson no okay um snow crash came out early 90s i want to say um and it is it's a great, 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 great sci-fi book that Ready Player One lifted from, let's say, liberally. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, it's about a sort of post-apocalyptic world and these um, <clears throat> VR realities that most of the action takes place in and stuff like that. Um, but the the hero, who's named Hero Protagonist, H-I-R-O Protagonist, and yes, like, uh, I think both, you'll you'll see that has been lifted in a couple other properties, but Hero Protagonist, drives a pizza delivery car and the opening of snow crash is about this like pizza delivery car uh sort of on this madcap chase uh through the plot of the of the book and so i just i i felt like mobius's pizza delivery car was a snow crash reference but i could be wrong oh that, i could but. i was kind of wondering about that it seemed like an odd choice but you know someone else mentioned that it might be a reference there's this um pizza delivery truck in a lot of the pixar films and oh since, yeah, the Pizza Planet. Yeah, and since of course um, Owen Wilson is a voice in Cars, that <laughs> that it might be a Pixar connection instead. But um, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to conjure an image of the of the vehicle. But I'd also read online today that somebody noted that the license plate is G R N. Yeah, and that you know, Grunwald classic. Yeah. Uh, well. Classic Moby or classic Loki says something like uh, about about whether the alligator Loki is really a Loki. He's like, well, he is green. Like oh. the green is like the symbol. Mm. So somebody was like, car Loki, you know, <laughs> is it, Loki is a car. So oh. uh, you know, I, maybe I thought people thought uh, it was for Mark Grunwald, who's a comic book writer. But I like I like the idea of GRN it, instead. Green. That's also very likely. And. Uh, and who's inside that green car? Oh, it's Mobius. Mobius. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to? You know, the elevator too has those symbols on it that look like hourglasses, but mm-hmm. also could be Mobius strips. So maybe he is. Maybe he is the bad guy. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, I, I do. I don't feel certain one way or the other. I think there's a couple different ways that they can go. So um, that's exactly where we want to be, right? Uncertain, but having fun guessing. So. And 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 not not getting too disappointed if things don't go our way. The la- I think the last thing I want to say, you know, the no stone no stone unturned, but we have lots of stones. <laughs> <laughs> the um the last thing I want to say is that the conversation I had in the middle of this podcast episode was with with Daniel Kibblesmith, who there's this great line in in his Loki comic where he says something like, um, "If the story doesn't start with Loki getting thrown out of somewhere, is it even a Loki story?" And I just love that, like, Dan and I talked about that a little bit, but I love that Rishi Grant here calls them the god of outcasts. Nothing more. Like, what? what is Loki if he's not being cast out <laughs> somewhere? And I just thought that, that was really interesting. So, 
Yeah, and I mean, like, and and the thing that Kid Loki says is, whenever one of us dares to try to fix themselves, they're sent here to die. Or and then Richie Grant goes, "We are broken, all of us." So, like, that's the thing. Whenever a Loki tries to better themselves, they're pruned. So, what what does whoever's running the TVA have against an improved Loki? And I love your sort of prophecy angle thing that you're talking mm-hmm. about. That feels feels right. Feels right to me. All right, anything else we want to chat about? I think that covers it for now. We did it. Proud of us. Anthony Bresikin, uh, where can folks find your great work, such as your profile of Mark Bernardin? Yeah, please check that out. It's a story that means a lot to me because uh, it's about uh, an entertainment writer who goes and does uh, his own creative thing. A guy who tells the story of storytellers, as you and I both do, Joe, uh, but, but became a storyteller himself. So. His, his graphic novel is Adora in the Distance, and it has a really beautiful story about his daughter who has autism and how she inspired it and kind of helped him along to help him figure out who he was and trying to figure out, you know, who she was and imagine who she was inside. So that's going to be over at VanityFair.com, and uh, I would appreciate any reads and shares. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. You can find me also on vanityfair.com. You follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this and uh, Richard at Rylaws. Um, so you can hear about his can uh, dispatches and we will be back next week at the finale. Uh, and, and our, right. our, our glorious purpose will continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.